All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second week of 2021, also known as the possibly second to last week of the United States of America. Um, thank you all for logging on and listening to the overlap in our final days. I know I'm being overly pessimistic, but of course, it's all it's all love, all uh, all jokes. I think <laughs> all <laughs> love, maybe uh, I would have <laughs> at least uh, some partial love and uh, maybe jokes. We don't know. We'll we'll see. Come like January. 28th honestly probably before that but whatever anyway um thank you guys as always for for hopping on and listening we got a great agenda for today talking a little primarily of course as we do on uh, on mondays tuesdays and we're gonna really kick things off with probably the game of the weekend um somehow a top four side in manchester united and of course premier league lead league leaders in liverpool um but before we uh before we get to then our, our special guest on the pod today Ron, between now or when we're recording this on a Monday and last Wednesday when we last recorded, um, do you feel better, worse, or uh, about the same about the state of our of our world? Uh, I thought you were going to ask me about the state of Chelsea because no, 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 no. I oh, don't worry. Morning. No, that's coming. That's coming. <laughs> um, I uh, I think like many people and even like our own i guess congress i am sitting and waiting <laughs> right now oh sitting, wow shots fired sitting and waiting he's pissed <laughs> <laughs> i don't even think she uses the internet very much so it's fine but um i i feel uh less off the or less on the ledge than i was last wednesday where it was more anger than anything else but um now it's again just sitting and waiting because yeah that checks um, out yeah i can't do the vote thing now that's not really gonna help get him impeached <laughs> but anyway at <laughs> least <laughs> how, how are you doing how's your weekend i'm good man yeah weekend was good um didn't get up to too much i spent a majority of it like trying to do some reading and like just relaxing like for the first time in a while, like that's what I got to do because there wasn't that much soccer on. Like there's a couple of FA Cup games, um, and like obviously we watched a lot of La Liga, but yeah, there wasn't wasn't too much as before. So yeah, it was it was a pretty chill weekend. I'm I'm looking forward to being back in the city in uh, in New York soon. But uh, I don't know if we're gonna go play soccer in this weather. But if it gets, <laughs> if there's like one day where it's warm enough, maybe I'll I'll consider it. But not right now. <laughs> It was freakishly, and I don't know, um, Cam, you can also chime in here if, if it was the same around you, but it was freakishly warm during much of December here in, in New York, and it was like yeah. forty a lot of 40-degree days. I actually went, I went to a... Uh, warm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, uh, it was like uh, both sides of the global warming thing, where it's like, pretty terrible, but... <laughs> winters are kind of nice right now but no yeah uh, it, it was like 40, or i think around like 40 degrees for maybe a couple weeks in, in december which i actually got to go out and but it did snow it did snow ball. in the city so you yeah, went on the snow with the soccer ball nice no 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 not when it's snowing <laughs> obviously obviously here in tierney over here all right uh, <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Rian is basically a uh, a white English bloke, so that's exactly Scottish, how I describe him. 
What? It's the same right. thing to me. Like Brexit, man. Brexit. All right. <laughs> anyway, why don't we uh, why don't we kick things off? I mean, you, you kind of introduced Cam, but uh, Cam, thanks so much for hopping on, talking a little United Liverpool as the first part of the the pod on this on this segment today. Thanks, uh, thanks for hopping on. How are you feeling? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I uh, my my brother is a United fan, and he does not want to hear any of my smack talk. <laughs> you know, going into this weekend. So this will be a good place to get it all out. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly why we, like I said, <laughs> before we start recording, that's basically why we started the podcast in the, in the first place, because no one else that we talked to wanted to hear our take. So here we are. But um, yeah, I mean, Rian, why don't you kick us off with uh, with a couple of the <laughs> very pointed questions about Liverpool and United. I mean, two sides that one has somewhat impressed and one I would argue is overperformed. Uh, I think you can pretty much take into account who I'm talking about there, but you know, it's funny you say that. Cause I think you could say for both of these teams in their own way, kind of over have overperformed this season United for, you know, the reasons of just the team that we thought they would be going into the season <laughs> and, and, and I've given my credit to Ole enough, I think last week, last couple of weeks, but um, you'd say even Liverpool have overperformed under the circumstances, right, of the injuries. And in sticking with that kind of overperformance there, this first question goes towards Cam. We asked this to our uh, our former coach when he came on. Who's impressed you most from Liverpool this season? Okay, so I have a few answers to this, actually. So I hope that's okay. Um, oh, Absolutely. To start off, <laughs> start off. I think the obvious answer that everybody looking from the outside would say is Diego Jota. Um, that that's kind of a no-brainer. He's been the surprise package of the season up until his injury. Uh, decisive in a lot of games. You know, like basically ran the show versus Atlanta. Um, I think the most impressive thing about him, honestly, is that you know part of the challenge in building a title-winning team is recruiting people to come in when you have a team full of stars already. So you look at that front three and there are, you know, players that could supplant those players in the world. You have like your Mbappe's, your Lewandowski's, um, other players like that, but it's not exactly uh, a given that players coming from a team like Wolves or, you know, any of those kind of mid to upper mid table sides would ever like really get starting minutes. So, you know, hats off to him for coming in and taking his chance with both hands. Super impressive from there. Um, and really just offer something different off the bench. Um, I love Divakarigi as much as the next <laughs> Liverpool fans. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's a cult hero in that sense. You know, he scored the big goals in big, big games. I yeah, yeah, yeah. More than no, else, no, right? don't. I knew that was coming. I knew it. I knew it. As a Barcelona fan, I'm, I'm, I have like mental health issues from that game. But let's, yeah, let's not go there. I'll move it on from there. But, um, but basically, you know, when when you, when you look at our bench options, uh, none of those players between you know him, uh, Shakiri, and Minamino, none of those players really fit the same mold as Mane and Salah in this like kind of agile, quick, uh, versatile striker winger combos. Um, 
but Joe has come in and he's really been that uh, and been able to offer, you know, that competition off the bench, which huge, huge. Um, and then I, so him aside, and I think the person that's like really impressed me in terms of just seeing how far he's come uh, season over season, Curtis Jones for me. Um, yeah. He's been massive. Just he's played a, way more minutes than I think he's been planning or he expected to play um, just based off injuries and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, and I want to get your kind of perspective on him as like outside non Liverpool fans, because for me, I feel like he should be kind of being looked at in the same way that people look at, you know, Foden, Mount, Baca, Greenwood as like that next crop of English talent. I feel like he always falls outside that conversation. At least when I hear pundits talk about him. Yeah, just with Curtis Jones, I think when um, Mrs. Alaska came on and talked with us, that was my player. It was Curtis Jones, who's impressed me the most because, like you said, he's 19, I think, still. And his numbers are in, are just, he's slotted in and pretty much almost no change in the, in terms of the output from the team, which is wild to, to expect from, someone in their first full season in the senior team, that they can step in for just about any one of those three midfielders who have had to come out either because of injury or being forced to play in center at center back. Like Curtis Jones has come in and it's been the exact same, I think, for the most part, level in terms of how Liverpool's midfield works and gets the ball forward, especially getting the ball forward. I mean, his, his ability to run with the ball is is just kind of brings the team to another level because there are only so many of those midfielders on Liverpool that can really progress the ball like he can. Maybe Kate, maybe Nabi Keita would be the only one else I can think of right now. But Yeah, I think when, when you're thinking of those types of players, that's definitely Keita, um, Ox to an extent, but you know neither of them can stay fit. So the fact that he can stay fit and available for the team is huge. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm super excited to see where he goes in the next few years. I think he's the type of player that, you know, as opposed to a Henderson or a Wijnaldum or a Milner, which I think if Klopp could play those three in midfield every week, he probably would. <laughs> um, but the, those, uh, those type of industrious players, like he, you know, he grinds, he works hard, but he has that bit of flair that hasn't been beaten out of him yet. Um, it was really fun to watch. Um, yeah, Ellie's Ellie's here chatted in our in the uh, video chat here asking about Tiago there, and and I will just say for <laughs> in terms of in terms of like the progressing balls from the midfield, I'm talking about dribbling the ball forward, which Tiago doesn't okay, do as much. Fair, doesn't fair. do as much. It's, That's fair. It's all like his passing is is that. Kind of you, yeah, I mean, you lose a lot with without having Tiago in the team. I think there's a very clear, like Liverpool fans, and I'm, I, I promise you I'm not basing this solely off of tweets, but Liverpool fans, the second that Tiago came back into the game, or came back into the squad and, and got his first minutes back from injury in the beginning of the year, I mean, there were, you could see the difference in their play. It was just very, very decisive line-breaking passes, and that's that's what he's there for. Um, and, I mean, Rihanna and I have talked about how much Liverpool have been missing that. Um, I mean, of course, there are players that can do that, right, to a certain extent, but not not at Thiago's level. I, I 
wholeheartedly agree that he is the best ball playing midfielder, um, possibly in the world, possibly in the world, other than Lionel Messi. But like, there there are still players in the Liverpool Liverpool side that have provided a lot of value. I mean, you talked about Cam, right? Like there have been players that had to step into different roles, right? And I think my my player, actually, when we talked to Mr. Zelazki Rian, was, I forget if I said this to him, but Fabinho, for me, actually has been shockingly adequate. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a backhanded compliment, <laughs> but I don't mean it to be. Um, do you, like, Cam, do you think that there's been a negative effect of forcing Fabinho basically to play center back since Van Dijk has gone out. And do you think that that will have like a longer lasting effect on the team? Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting one because with Fabinho, um, like you said, shockingly adequate, I would, you know, rose tinted glasses. I would say he's been above adequate. Um, when you think about, you know, shunting somebody into a position that's not their real position. If you put, I don't know, Scott McTominay or like Granite Jocka in your back line, <laughs> And you have City next week, uh, you're sweating a little bit, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like kind of knock-on effects of moving Fabinho to the back line, you lose a lot in the attack and you lose a lot in the defense. You know, going forward, um, he kicks off a lot of the counterattacks. I think Liverpool are kind of built in a way that they, you know, when they're high-flying, when they're really at their best, they're not reliant on individual players to kind of – uh, pick out gaps and create openings. It's more the system, the team press, winning the ball high up the field and exploiting the space in that way. So when you lose, you know, your main ball winner, somebody that really sets the tempo and sets the pace in the midfield, um, that's, that becomes a huge issue. Um, and then defensively, you know, obviously losing a ball winner, not great. But when you look at what the rest of the team has to do to compensate for the fact that you no longer have Fabinho in the middle of the team, uh, creates a lot of problems. So, like, when you're looking at um, last game against Southampton, when Tiago comes in. So, Tiago, you know, like you said, incredibly talented player, can play really anywhere in the midfield. Um, but with Fabinho out, he's been playing the deeper role. Um, and he spent a good chunk of the game as impressive as he was against Southampton, which, you know, he racked up a lot of really nice passes. We spent a good chunk of the game basically splitting the center backs when we were in possession. Uh, and that is largely because we had to kind of counter the counter. So when they were, when you have Danny Ings coming against you, you can get broken against, um, and you don't have your main ball winner. You got to kind of throw more people into the mix, so throw them deeper, um, which, you know, when you – kind of compare that to City's problem with Fernandinho over the last couple of seasons and how they haven't really replaced them. Basically what they've done is they just threw another midfielder in to have, you know, two defensive midfielders instead of just the one um, supporting two more attacking players. So it really takes away from our kind of defensive structure and then also, you know, what we can afford to throw forward at any point uh, in an attacking sense. So, a massive loss, <laughs> but I will say that again, kind of circling back to my first point, um, we've only conceded more than one goal on one occasion since Van Dyke's been out. So, you know, he's been doing a good enough job um, 
apparently to the point that's convinced, convinced the board that they just don't want to go buy a center back in the January window, which I think is borderline suicide, but I guess we'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my take on that. Yeah, I I also will go with that uh, notion that he's been, I think, better than adequate. I think surprisingly better than adequate would maybe be my phrase for it because yeah, he's gone into the back line. He saw like big increases in his amount of touches and passes per game. Well, at the same time, like, like you said, the defending has not, or at least the defensive output hasn't changed a lot. Liverpool are allowing fewer shots per game than last season right now. And almost an identical non penalty expected goal average. So it's, it's amazing how well they're still playing defensively, but like you said, they're missing that person to start attacks and not to start attacks, but to, again, progressing the ball forward, but in a passing sense, Fabinho's passing into the attacking third. Last year, he was second on, in terms of Liverpool's midfielders. And this year it's gone way down. Same thing with his amount of just, pressures like presses on the ball that's gone down obviously because he's just playing further back but he's such a linchpin for the counterattack for for Liverpool and just the counter press in general so yeah it it's super impressive that he's been able to go back and just go into center back and be I mean I think you could argue he's been one of the four or five best center backs in England this season so that's more of like a compliment to how smart of a player he is. I think that that's really a testament to his intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree with all those points. Uh, well, Elias, from there, should we look towards the actual game itself? I was going to say, uh, I only really have one <laughs> major other question because I think, <laughs> I think we've, Rian made our opinions on Manchester United very clear. I don't even want to spend any time. I was a bit more aggressive than me. So. I, I just I think I think this team is so poorly coached that they have no hope of being in the top four. I will I will maintain that until they are in the top four. But I mean, Cam. I mean, the last he's, question. We'll say he's saying that as they are currently sitting in second. But oh, oh, I didn't. Oh, that's so funny because Chelsea's out of the top four. So do you want the Premier League to end today? Because yeah, we can do that. We, we can have that argument. I, I mean, it, oh, you have to. You have to entertain that they're going to finish in the top four. I'm going to ignore he's that. In Cam, <laughs> let's let's talk about Liverpool then. I mean, pr- predictions then for the game. How do you how do you expect this game to go? How do you expect? Um, you know, Liverpool to play? And, I mean, of course, who do you expect to come out on top? Right. So, I mean, this has been obviously such a weird season. I think the only thing I can say with certainty uh, going into this game is that United will get a penalty at some point. That uh, That's pretty much nailed on. Um, <laughs> in terms of, like, an actual <laughs> – in terms of, like, an actual uh, result <sighs> – Really depends a lot on if uh, Joel Matip is fit. I think if he's fit, um, we stand a much better chance. United, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, like, they're not a particularly well-coached team. They keep finding themselves in situations where teams let them back into the game inexplicably. Um, 
and they figure it out from there. I think Liverpool are a little bit smarter than that. So, you know, if they go ahead early or at least go ahead first, um, we should be able to manage the game. I think there are enough kind of level heads and experienced professionals in the team that they should be able to see it out. But uh, Bruno Fernandez has just been having an absolute insane season. So it really, it's tough for me to confidently say that he's not going to do something that will upset me. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. I think the big thing for me is, um, look, this is a game where you do have Tiago and you're playing against a team that is more comfortable playing on the counter in Manchester United. And not that they're going to sit as deep as like West Brom or even Southampton at times in that second half um, last week. But Tiago's going to be really important, as you can say, with almost any game, but he's going to be really important against United especially. And what I might be slightly concerned about is the fact that this is also a game where Fabinho's not going to be in the midfield because also a great counter to a team who's trying to play counterattacks. So... All this to not try to sit on the fence here, but um, I, I I keep wanting to be so against this United team, but it's obviously because I mean, who doesn't hate Manchester United? And it's really hard not to hate them, right? <laughs> right. Um, <exactly>. It's <laughs> just really hard not to. <laughs> um, and and Bruno Bruno is they're like Duke, and Bruno is like JJ Redick right now (laughs) it's like i know that guy's good i know he's good i get it i get he's good guys but he really angers a lot of people (laughs) and that's where i feel in this analogy i know yeah he may not maybe it was jesse lingard but um (laughs) oh my god you've devolved (laughs) but um i i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say it I hate, I'm gonna say a draw. I I didn't want to say. Oh that, my but god! I, but I just cop yeah. out. Yeah, I know. I know. If if I'm gonna pick a winner, I want to say Liverpool because they're the team that I think that's. I still think that they're the team to beat to win the league. I still think they're the best position to win the league. So if if there's gonna be a winner, I think it'll be Liverpool. But like Cam said, that first goal is so important. We saw what happened in the game against Spurs. Yeah. Uh, Things could have been very different if Spurs get if Spurs get the first goal in that game. True, obviously. and then and in the end, Liverpool just kept going, and they ended up getting a last minute goal. So it's it's important for Liverpool I think, to find some of the magic that they found at times this year that they found that they had a lot of last season of pulling results out of their ass sometimes well you you are making a an equivalent argument that liverpool can sorry manchester united can defend as well as spurs and you, you i mean you're basically one harry Maguire away from being fulham so no <laughs> i i will push i'll push you on that because of my hatred for manchester united um but yeah i i'm gonna go with a 3-1 liverpool win and the only reason I'm giving Manchester United even a goal is because I think exactly what's going to happen 
during the Wolves game, the Manchester United Wolves game will happen in this game where Ole realizes what he's been doing wrong in the 80th minute and says, oh, oh my God, I need to, I need to play Rashford wide <laughs> and then have him cross the ball. And then they will somehow miraculously get a goal from him realizing he's been wrong with his tactics the entire game. So I'll give them that credit. Um, but I do think Liverpool are the better side. I think they are the more talented side. They, the only thing that I think Liverpool need to worry about is they might be the more tired side. And we've seen time and time again how that can affect, you know, players in the long run. And we are in the stretch of the quote-unquote long run. So I'm, I'm still expecting Liverpool to come, up, uh, come out on top, though. Yeah, I, th- I think a couple of interesting matchups in this game will be whoever United plays at the number nine, whether it's Martial or Cavani. Both, I mean, Cavani's movement's fantastic. And we, we saw a bit of that in the uh, in their game against Leicester and in their League Cup game against Everton. But I think Martial has been very good in terms of his hold up and dropping in to help the midfield in terms of retaining possession. So it'll be really interesting to see how Liverpool deals with that on top of I guess, how they deal with, um, with Bruno Fernandes as well. But yeah, that's that's kind of my, my most... Uh, intriguing matchup for me is definitely the center the center backs and the united forwards yeah and i think that's kind of why i think the game really hinges on whether or not uh mata plays if he does not play and it's reese williams or nat phillips has been nat phillips cannot should probably not see the, the field anymore (laughs) <laughs> no, I wasn't even going to mention him, honestly. Uh, he's not, he cannot deal with anybody that's not a big, burly, uh, Stoke City type forward. Um, but no, if it's, if it's one of those other two instead of Joel Matip, then I'll be very concerned. I think Cavani's a, you know, an experienced kind of wily forward, really great movement. I think that'll be a problem for whatever makeshift center back pairing is back there. Um, but, you know, if Mata decides he can play, uh, that uh, groin injury kind of heals up, then I think we're in good shape. Well, I love it. So, yeah, the biggest Liverpool United game we can remember maybe since, maybe since Mourinho was the manager of United, perhaps. I can remember one very hyped up Liverpool United game where Mourinho was a manager, and it was one of the worst games I've ever seen. It was like a nil-nil. <laughs> so, um, hoping that we don't see that again. The absolute disrespect to the FA Cup. <laughs> this isn't even the biggest Liverpool-United matchup of the month. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a knockout round competition coming up. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool's, yeah. Liverpool's next four games include two matches against Manchester United and one against Spurs. So, that's going to be a tough run of games. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not thrilled, I gotta say. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Cam, thanks so much for hopping on, talking a little Liverpool United. Good luck this weekend. We'll uh we'll obviously be watching, we'll see what happens. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank you.
All right. After a, a very, very interesting, I'll, I'll say, preview of uh, Liverpool United, um, in which Rian is clearly a Manchester United stand, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Rian, let's let's talk a little bit about the other teams in England. Specifically, let's start with um, Villa and Everton. You know, two teams that have... I don't want to say fallen off of kind of the radar, but have had a dip in form in the last couple of weeks, right? They both have lost their last, uh, their last games that they played. Um, and now they have an upcoming clash this weekend. Of course, Everton play Wolves on Wednesday um, and Villa, unfortunately due to COVID had their game against Spurs uh, at midweek postponed. So Spurs will be playing Fulham uh, this, this week instead. So Rion, where are we with Villa and it's hard to almost put this into the perspective of COVID, but where are we with Villa and Everton right now? Because I think if we're, if you have a full squad in Aston Villa, you may be talking about a very, very competitive game, but I, I, I think it's just so hard to judge it. Yeah. This is one of the games I'm looking forward to the most this weekend, obviously outside of Liverpool United. Um, I think, Villa and Everton play each other this weekend, and Villa have been, like, I don't know, I, it should be, like, everyone's second team, honestly. They should be, like, everyone's second team in England. It's, they've been outstandingly entertaining. They are still first in shots per game. I remember that kind of uh, surprised Elias a bit a few weeks ago. They're still first in the league in shots per game. They're sitting... Third in expected goals, second expected goal average, and they are third in, or sorry, fourth in expected points. So they are just everything you love about a quote unquote underdog, right? But it would be really disrespectful to call them under, underdogs in the sense of the talent that they have on their team. Uh, when you look at Grealish, McGinn, Douglas Louise, who's missed a couple games in the last few weeks, but um, I think there's a chance he comes back this weekend. And what they have in their back line, too. Tyron Mings has been really good this year, and the fullbacks have cash and target. Everything about this team is just fun. Not even to mention Ollie Watkins, a player from the championship who's come up and been electric for a lot of the time. What's really made them a more more than just a fun team but a genuinely tough team to beat i think has been the signing of emmy martinez from from arsenal and a guy who was really good at the second half of arsenal season last year when you know things were very i mean it was a very difficult uh second half of the season for arsenal in general especially on the defending side and and he really showed that he could be a number one keeper and i just love that he pretty much bet on himself and looked for the move away. And right now he's sitting first in the Premier League in post-shot expected goals difference, which we talked about maybe once or twice when I kind of used those stats to show how poor Kepa had been in the last couple of seasons for Chelsea. But, but basically, based on the shot locations that Emi Martinez is facing, he's dealing with them better than any other keeper in the Premier League. And that's what makes them an actual threat for a European spot, more than just being a fun team. 
Do you, well, yeah, Emmy Martinez is probably one of the most feel-good stories, too, in the Premier League. I mean, we talk about teams that have come up from the championship, players that have been promoted through the championship and gone on to, you know, even bigger clubs. Um, but Emmy Martinez's story is, is really, really wonderful, you know, coming from Argentina and, and making it in the Premier League after years and years and years. But to do it at the continued form that he had after Arsenal, and like you said, betting on himself, that's not something a lot of players have the confidence to do. Like, it's it's one thing to, to say, screw it, I'm going to go ahead and become a starter somewhere else, you know, and, and make the money and all may have all the accolades um but to also do it at the highest level is is very very impressive but how would you i guess my question i don't know if there's a, a specific stat that you're looking at um like how would you quantify his performance against kind of the other top keepers in um in the premier league because i think this this is what it might come down to in the villa everton game this weekend is how well I wouldn't say Villa's whole back line. I would say specifically Eddie Martinez performs. Like, is there is there a metric that I'm not aware of that you will enlighten me with? <laughs> no, um, no. I think the, the post shot XG is is probably the best thing that I know of, at least to to come up with that. And you're right. This this will be really interesting to see England's number one on one side in in Jordan Pickford and Emmy Martinez who. Again, like I said, he really bet on himself this past summer. Like to explain how much confidence you have to have in yourself for the turn to make that move. It's easy for a Kaylor Navas, who was at Real Madrid and won three Champions Leagues in a row, and was very good for you for Madrid in in, in a lot of that stretch. Right, it's very easy for someone like him who. Oh, Courtois comes back, comes in, and no, I'm not going to be the second keeper because I've won Champions League titles, and so I'll go to PSG and get paid way more and be the number one keeper there. It's easy for someone to do that, be a second keeper, and and somehow get to that part in your career. The, there wasn't a lot. There was nothing great about the the Arsenal team in the in the second half of last season that you could have easily just said all right well how much do we actually know about this guy other than you know he's he's shown up very well as a backup keeper and the team still didn't do that great anyway obviously winning the FA Cup at the end of the year was great achievement but yeah I feel like that's a harder um just a harder move to make as a player than just about any other almost any other position it's very hard to for yeah, um, yeah. On the goalkeeper, on the goalkeeper side, especially when you're at such a huge club like Arsenal, like he was at. Anyway, for sure. So it was, it wasn't like he wasn't going to get chances anymore. Yeah, no, it's super fair, super fair. Maybe it was the best thing that happened in his career, but um, oh, absolutely. I, I think I think you could say that honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would I would absolutely agree with that. Um, but you know, Villa are a team that I, <laughs> I hate to to break it to you, tied on points with Chelsea and Everton are three points ahead of Chelsea. Um, so are above <laughs> Chelsea and goal difference as well. So, I know, yeah. I know, I know. So, I mean, who do you, if you had to pick between Villa and Everton, um, I mean, personally, I'm going to choose either a draw or Everton. I'm a little on the fence, but I'm probably leaning Everton just because 
I think there's just such a lack of squad depth. I mean, Louis Berry, I do have to to shout out the the ex Slavia <laughs> um, brief product who went from West Brom to Barcelona and now back to Aston Villa, um, scoring midweek against Liverpool. Um, I hope he does play, and I hope he plays well. Doubt, doubt it. <laughs> Don't but, think he will. Yeah. Doubt it, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, if he does, I'm going with a Villa win. <laughs> but if he doesn't, Everton win. <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's interesting from the uh, in terms of predictions for this game. The, the Everton side, you know, they had their four game win streak until they lost to West Ham last week. <clears throat> in a very weird game. Um, they're it's not pretty with them recently. I think you could almost say since the Lucas Dean Dina injury, they've been kind of grinding out results more than I think playing extremely well um, in a lot of these matches. You know, it's pretty but not effective. They're 12th in non-penalty expected goal difference, even though they're sitting 7th in the table with a chance where if they win, they could go up to 4th um, this week or after, I think, tomorrow. And you just think about their ability to grind out results. And their defense has been really good, honestly. Um, I think Ben Godfrey has come in from Norwich and has played all over their back line. For this one, I'm going to go with... I'm going to say Villa wins, though. I'm going to go with a Villa win if if everything... Yeah. (laughs) I think Villa wins it. Yeah, I think Villa wins it. Uh, I'm gonna say three one. Wow, this is the first time I think we've like almost not entirely disagreed, but yeah, pretty close. I'm like I was gonna go for something like a two one or two nil for Everton, but ooh, let's see who uh, let's see who loses out or wins out. Yeah. I don't know. I really, I honestly, I, I say that with limited knowledge as well about Villa compared to Everton, but from from what I have seen with Villa being ravaged by COVID. Like, I, I just, I can't get past that. It's a fair point. Um, it's a fair point. So it's, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll actually see what happens, but that to me is a, is a massive, massive loss. I mean, it's, imagine. Yeah, we don't imagine, factor the biological nature. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a part of this analysis. What are you talking about? No, but I mean, it's the, basically the equivalent of like eight guys being injured with hamstring injuries, right? You don't know how they're going to return. I, like it's, it's the same idea. It's just not as visceral in your head. Because uh, we can't really see it, so, but yeah, why don't we, um, Ryan? Why don't we move on to another big clash coming up this weekend? Leicester and Southampton, um, Hassan Huddle versus Rogers, two immaculate coaches in the Premier League this season. Arguably, Hassan Huddle maybe could be Premier League Manager of the Year. Maybe, maybe. I, I he's got to be in the running. He's yeah, he's got to be in the running. I mean, he's got to be in the top three. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, and you probably could be. say the same about Brendan Rodgers right now too. So that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, re- look, Southampton. Their results have been nothing but spectacular this season for the most part. Yeah, I'm glad right. you didn't say miracle because I think it's yeah. earned. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, extremely impressive, including that one 0 win against Liverpool, which I found out afterwards. The Ralph Hasenhuttle and Jurgen Klopp both trained together to get their coaching badges. So that kind of announced his first win against Jurgen Klopp in any competition in his managerial career. So it kind of brings some context, a bit more context to that 
emotional outburst that he had at the end of that game where he's like to tears. I'm sure some of that had to do with also just the long journey of the Southampton team over the last what uh like year and a little over a year and a half. Um but yeah, including that one no one against Liverpool, they've beaten Everton and Villa this season. They've gotten draws against Wolves, um, against Chelsea, in which they were down twice in that game and came back and drew. And against Arsenal, a game that they were probably very unlucky to to not win. Their losses this season have been to a 1-0 against Manchester City, a 2-3 loss against United, in which uh, Edison Cavani had a 91st-minute goal to win it. Crystal Palace, a 1-0 loss on the first day of the season, and a 5-2 loss to Spurs on a day where they just kind of got the press wrong and Kane and Son just absolutely destroyed them. So um, this is like one of the best pressing teams in, in the league. They're the third in terms of presses. Uh, we always say they're always very, very entertaining to watch. And it'll be interesting to see how Leicester sets up in this game because um, who we've mentioned their kind of tactical flexibility this season. They've played three different formations throughout the season, each a significant amount of minutes playing each of those formations this year. So it'll be interesting to see how Leicester sets up. I think this will be really important for Leicester to try to get off on the right foot because their next few games are pretty tough. They've got Southampton, Chelsea, Everton, Leeds, and Fulham, who they lost to already this year. So the next five games will tell us a lot about, I think, the staying power of Leicester this year. Well, I mean, Leicester are basically back to full-ish health. So with them getting their players back, and also I would argue somewhat getting into a run of form outside of last weekend. Mm. If you had to look into a crystal ball and see how they would perform over the next five games, I'm confident in them doing well, at the very least performing well, maybe not getting the results that they want, but you're still talking about, again, a top six side. So, uh, I mean, a top six side playing other top six teams. So... I'm not like it's not like I think we should just rule out Leicester for the sake of what they have been struggling with. Oh no, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, like you said, they're getting healthy. Still, guys to come back. A couple guys, key guys to come back. But yeah, this is. A, I think this is just a, a good test, a good test for them. Because this is around the time last season when they started to fall off. So that that's very true. Yeah, I hadn't. I had, yeah, history is usually repeats itself, but <laughs> hopefully not this time. <laughs> yeah. So, Ellis, any predictions? Score predictions for this one? I mean, I the one thing that I've been very impressed with. So I'll I'll do both sides, right? With Leicester in the last couple of weeks, although the results have not completely been going their way. The one thing I've been still impressed by is their uh, just attention to defensive detail. And there's something in their center back pairing that 
sometimes it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> I will say, like we've seen it go horribly wrong in the last six months, maybe. Um, but there's something respectable about their ability co to communicate. Like maybe this is just me as like a former center back and like watching other center backs play. Like th there's something about their positioning and their ability to almost coach from the back that I kind of appreciate. And I don't know how that's going to fare against the Southampton team that ha that has not necessarily the fastest striker slash winger, not necessarily the strongest, but a very intelligent one. I, I'm very curious how that, like the, the nuances and the details of the game and communication and just overall intelligence plays out. I, I don't know if I have an answer. If I had to, I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw because I do think that they're going to be, I mean, both sides are going to be somewhat leaking goals. Um, so I'm I'm going with the 2-2 draw. Rian, let's hear your predictions. Am I going to be off with my basis? No, 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 not off. I, I think the matchup between Danny Ings, who in my mind is arguably England's second best striker, it, it's between him and Calvert-Lewin for me, but the matchup between him and whether it's Wesley Fofana or if Soyuncu comes back into this game, I, I kind of doubt that he'll start this game, but I'm going to go with, I'm going to say 2-1 Leicester. Uh, one of the big things for Southampton is getting is a lot of, almost half their goals have been from some sort of set piece, whether it's a PK, a um, indirect free kick, a corner, or a free kick goal from the magical right foot of uh, James Ward-Prowse. So if Leicester are able to defend their set piece as well, I, I think they can win this game. I just been really, I've, I was really impressed over the last couple of weeks by uh, by Leicester, especially in their fight back against against United and, and finding a way to draw that game. So I'm I'm feeling bullish about about Leicester's second half of the season. Nice dude, nice, love that, love that. Well, we always do love a good Leicester Southampton clash, specifically seeing Leicester, honestly for me. Um, but <laughs> Rian, I I hate to do this to you as the last segment of the pod but um let's we we have to do it we have to talk about chelsea on 26 points have lost their i mean they lost their last game tied the game before that they have fulham coming up in their next next fixture a team that we have lauded recently for their complete turnaround since the the opening fixture against arsenal in which they lost handedly how are you feeling going into this game against a team or you know with a team i should say in com i wouldn't i don't want to say complete disarray but in um in a, in a little bit of a, a uncertainty a, i would say mini crisis mini crisis yeah yeah well i mean mini crises are are very normal at chelsea honestly yeah true, true. <laughs> but um yeah it'll be look the game was supposed to happen on Friday. It's getting moved back to Saturday because of Fulham's COVID situation. And who knows? Maybe maybe we'll all get lucky and this game just gets postponed. But, nice. Um, nice. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I, it's a must-win game, unfortunately, for in terms of 
in terms of, I guess, just a narrative base, because right after Chelsea lost to Manchester City, not maybe two minutes after the game ended, I got a notification from The Athletic on a story about the Chelsea board already thinking about (laughs) potential out (laughs) plans with, with Frank Lampard. So... Look, I'll say this on the on the manager situation. He, I've said it last week. He deserves to get the end of the season. And unfortunately, this is kind of the nature of you know being a, a big club manager is that it's no matter how ha- how it happens, how well the team plays, finishing top four was is the absolute benchmark for Chelsea. Yeah. In general, but especially this season after after the investment and and after the encouragement from from uh, the end of last season, right? So it's as simple as for me. I would like to see him finish the season. If they don't get top four, then there's no excuse so much to um, to not let him go. But until then, I don't think unless the team somehow drops into like. 13th or something like that (laughs) um i I don't think it's fair to judge uh his full tenure on the next couple results let's say that but but it's really tough position if they don't win this weekend that it's yeah what that's the thing right it's like both i mean both of us do this you you kind of contradict yourself inherently not you just in general but Mm -hmm. like by saying it doesn't matter what happens in the next couple of results, right? Because you can't judge a manager by just two games. But simultaneously, if that manager drops several positions in the table, then yeah. you have to reevaluate that position. And it's an impossible position to be in, quite frankly. If I'm Frank Lampard, I'm thinking I'm in an impossible position. If I win, great. That means I'm headed up the table, but I should still be higher. If I lose, I mean, that's obvious. And if I draw, you don't make an improvement. So... Unless they yeah, go it's on... in the situation where sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, interrupt no, you. Go ahead. No, no, but but in the situation where if I win, it has to be convincing. It has to, and it right. has to look great. But sorry, yeah. go on. No, that's that's exactly my point. Like you have to go on a run of games. That's what I was going to say. And in order to do that, you have to put on a performance that inspires confidence in your side. Right. I think part of what Frank Lampard did at midweek against a team in the FA Cup that I'm not even going to try and pronounce. They, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. They, I, I think Frank Lampard specifically played some of his starters on purpose. It's not like I, I yeah. partially expected, you know, rest and whatnot um, against a, a lower opposition, but I think he played them almost solely for confidence. And that to me is a sign of someone who's thinking like a man manager. I mean, we can argue about his tactical formations and setups, and I think they've been suspect throughout the season, but there's something to be said about someone who knows how to manage a squad. I mean, that's practically how Zidane won three Champions Leagues in a row, that there's genuinely something to be said about it. So let's reevaluate what happens to Frank Lampard at the end of the season. Like you said, I don't know if it's a smart decision to let him go, even if they finish like fifth or sixth. I ideally they would finish i mean first right but in the top four so 
I, I think we just have to wait and see. I just don't think it's fair enough to have this conversation until the season's done. Have they dipped in complete form? Is there, you know, no confidence inside, no coming back? That's a different story. But for now, I mean, let him see what he can do. Yeah. And look, things change so quickly in this sport. Like, things, it's always that things change quickly in football. And, like, it's not inconceivable. And I, and I don't want to see, like, oh, I'm just being hopeful, like, so hopeful. Like, it's, I want this to happen. Like, obviously, I want this to happen. But at the same time, not inconceivable that. Lampard, who is still in his third season of management, is still trying, like, figuring things out, um, even on tactical sense. And something could change in how they set up. In, as I said before, players getting like, either confidence back or, in Kai Havertz's case, overcoming an illness. And, you know, something could change. It, it, things could change. I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, rule that out. It's just, unfortunately, the nature of the business, the nature of being the head coach of one of these sides is that you don't get time for things to change unless things are in a dire, unless things are in a admittedly like dire situation anyway. So. I.e. I. Ronald Koeman at Barcelona. Yeah. But... But I hope Chelsea don't get to that. It's it's a catch twenty two. Hey, that's kind of turning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll hold off until the La Liga podcast yeah. for that. But <laughs> fair point. That well, gives me hope. <laughs> I mean, come on. No, no. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I don't think you should aspire to that. But <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, what I was going to say is I think that wraps up everything we wanted to get to for, uh, for the Premier League pod. I mean, I'm, I'm specifically looking forward to Liverpool United more than anything. Like, I know you, you said Leicester, uh, what's well, Leicester yeah, Everton. everything else, Liverpool United, obviously. obviously. Yeah, 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 no, I, but I, <laughs> I specifically just cannot wait to see how this Manchester United team play. Like we, yeah. we saw what, two or three weeks ago, Scott McTominay turn into modern day Andres Iniesta. So, I, and then, uh, and then, <laughs> then kind then of go back to normal. Yeah, and nothing. <laughs> so, are are we going to see a revival of Pogba? Are we going to see Rashford like it. become Neymar? Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to see? Like, I don't know what yeah. to expect from this United side, and that's honestly part of the exciting part about this this team. But I digress. We'll talk later. That wraps up the Premier League podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, we'll be back in a couple days talking a little La Liga and uh, why, like Rian said, Barcelona may not be doomed to uh, to the to the depths of relegation. <laughs> Cumin forever. Oh, oh, yeah, that's not what we're naming this podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>